you have a copy of the scriptures or you can pull it up on your phone. We're going to look in just a few moments at 1 Peter, pretty close to the end of your Bible. So you can turn towards the back, start flipping just a little bit towards the front, you'll find 1 Peter. We're going to look at a few verses from 1 Peter chapter 4 in just a moment. I was reminded just as we were singing of a couple of things that God's Word says about God's Word. One is that it's living and active, um, that it's not dead, that it's not stagnant, but that we should expect personally and corporately when we open God's Word for God to be active in our lives. And there may be times when we're less aware of that than others. That's normal. We should expect it. I think that's part of faith in coming to God. And so uh, we're going to pray. I'm going to pray for us that we would hear from God. Let's do that together. God, you promise that your word accomplishes all that it sets out to do. You promise that your word is active. And so, God, even with a rascal like me um, trying to be helpful with your word, God, you can do great things far beyond any measure of, of great or small capability, far beyond even what we're aware of as we proclaim your word. You're doing things in us. Sometimes we don't realize it. You're doing things in people as your word is proclaimed that the proclaimer had no clue. You're faithful, God, to your word. You were faithful to give it. You're faithful to continue to use it to nourish our souls, God, and to lead us so do that now, God, for any person who would honestly say that they would desire to hear from you. I pray, God, that you would bless them in that way, that they would know they've heard from your word, that something from your word would, would lodge in them, encourage them, comfort them, whatever it may be that you need to do in their lives today. God, we pray for Miss Lynn. She's in a moment of hurt and agony and who knows what else, God, shifting through all the, the different feelings. God, I pray that you would lift her up when she needs that. Father, I pray that you would slow her mind down when she needs that. Pray, God, that she would find great comfort in the promise that you're close to brokenhearted. Whether she feels it or not, you're there. Pray, God, that you would let her hope in that, that you would Remind her, prompt her towards that by your spirit. Pray, God, that she would be able to come to you with anger and despair and frustration, joy, gladness, gratefulness for Joe, his life. And everything that she experiences, I pray that she'd be able to come to you. Help her in that, Lord. Pray that you would prompt us, remind us by your spirit to be prayerful for her. Lead us in your word now. And let us be a part of encouraging her in your word. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So, I guess I was probably maybe 19, 18, 19 years old. And uh, there was a girl at a neighboring school. There's a lot of bad stories that start that way. And there was a girl. Nothing. I didn't mean that against you, ladies. I'm just saying we men tend to do foolish things when you're around. It's not your fault. We're just ignorant. All right? But anyways... Um, there was a girl at a neighboring school, and um, because I had not yet met uh, my beautiful wife, 
um, this other girl kind of set the standard. She kind of was the standard for me at that point. And uh, I just thought upon being around her just a little bit and having seen her and she's had this really thick southern accent when she talked about her English class at school. She said, English? And I was like, that's interesting right there, boy. Um, she just had my attention, man. But I just remember thinking there's no way she would have anything to do with me. Like there's no way that I'm going to get to even be a blip on her radar. And uh, I did what any bold young man would do which is not walk right up to her and talk to her myself. I got one of her friends to kind of mention me a little bit. <laughs> Eventually, she said she would indeed spend some time with me on a date. And so we met uh, at a place, two different groups of people all met together, went to a public event. But then afterwards, just she and I were going to hang out. And so she gets in my car, and we take off. We're actually heading to my house for a few minutes before we go out elsewhere. And, and she's been in my car all of about four minutes, and we're kind of nervous chirping at each other because I'm thinking, you know, like I'm feeling real small, like I'm in the car with an angel. She's thinking he's a moron. Why is he not talking? And, and we're riding. It's been about three, four minutes, and all of a sudden uh, we're driving that night, and a car pulls out into our lane. And so I had to swerve into the other lane to avoid the car that was driving into my lane. And, and I saw the next morning when in daylight hours I could see we, we just missed going off into a pretty steep embankment by couldn't have been more than two or three inches. I mean, there were, there was the track going through the grass there was just right next to, and we just almost flew off the side of this thing, and I jerked it back onto the road, and thank God, praise God, we were safe, and there was a couple of seconds of silence there. What do you say? <laughs> Somebody you've never really been around very much, right? You're kind of hanging out for the very first time. You, you just swerved, by the way, where the car was coming towards their door instead of your own. I don't know, but, but you, you had this moment, what do you say? And what came out of my mouth in that moment was this. I said, I can't feel my legs. That's what I said. <laughs> I had a moment, and I've thought back to it. Like, there were some moments in life where I've been quick-witted and said some things where I feel like, hey, that was, that was good. That sounds like something they would do in a movie. This was not one of those. Um, I had a moment. I could have asked her if she was okay, put her first <laughs> before myself. I could have slyly reached over and grabbed her hand. Are you all right? And then maybe the hands would have kept holding. I don't know. There are lots of different ways. I could have made a, a, little, a little jerky remark, which would have probably been me at that age, and been like, oh, I got this, no problem. We're good. I drive like this all the time. Right? I could, whatever. There were lots of things that I could have done, but in the moment, what came out was I can't feel my legs. <laughs> my most clear thought, the loudest feeling resonating in my soul was I almost just died and my legs are numb. <laughs> so that's what I said out loud. I share that moment with you to make fun of myself a little bit, because I enjoy that sometimes, but I also share that moment with you just to illustrate a truth that I know that you know, that you've lived in your life. And it's this, that in the moments when we're the most scared, in the moments when we have the most fear or maybe the most difficulty, when things are scary or hard, our filters tend to break and the real us tends to just ooze right out of there. <laughs> See, we, we operate our lives regularly and and we try not to, we don't want to, but we do kind of operate subconsciously even with a filter of what's coming out of what we're saying and doing. And we're aware of all these different external stimuli and how many people are in the room and, and how are they looking at me and do I know them. And there's all this stuff going on under the surface in us all the time. But in moments when we're absolutely scared to death or in moments when we are just up against hardship and we feel so strained like we're about to snap, those tend to be the moments when the filter breaks and the real us just shows its head, doesn't it? <laughs> That's why some of you... When you get scared, maybe somebody intentionally scared you or accidentally scared you, and you said that thing. Do you remember when you said it? Those words? 
what were I'm just kidding. Don't tell me what they were. That's a joke. Right? You said it, right? Because you were scared and it just came right out. It's the moment when you were facing a really hard circumstance in your life that, that maybe you said something that you regretted or maybe you said something you never realized was true even in your own heart because all of a sudden you were just speaking your true feeling, your true thought, and it came out. When we are, are positioned against strong fear or strong difficulty, the real us tends to live. As we've looked the last few weeks and for one week after this one at some trademarks of what the Bible tells us it'll look like if we're an authentic Christian community, we're seeing what are, what are some of the identifiers, what are some of the things that will be true in us if we just fall in love with Jesus with reckless abandon, just love him, love each other, love the people around us. What will it look like? We're seeing some of those marks. And what we're going to see today is what it looks like for us individually, personally, but also for us collectively together. What does it look like when we're having some of those times when it's really hard? It's really fearful. The reality is for us individually that we're going to have those moments. I, I don't hope that you have them. I don't want you to have them, but it is an honor as your pastor to get to sit with you in them when they come. You're going to have those moments. The reality is, is that some of us are probably sitting in this room right now having those moments in ways that nobody else sitting in this room right now knows about. We're going to have those moments individually. We're going to have those moments as a church. There are going to be moments when there are things that are hard to process and deal with. Read the scripture. It happened in the early church. It'll happen in us. And we're going to see what are some marks that will identify us if we're serious about Jesus? What are some things that will identify us even in the midst of that hardship, even in the midst of our greatest fears? Whether that's for one day or for some of us, we're living it right now. What can Jesus produce in us even when we feel like everything's lost? That's exactly what First Peter is trying to urge the believers on, the, the first hearers of this letter that he wrote. We're told in First Peter the very first verses, it says that he sends his letter to the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He's sending this letter out, chapter 1, verse 1, to a, a bunch of people who are followers of Jesus. They're the people of Jesus. He's sending a letter out to be circled around through these different cities in these different areas, sent out to them. And he says, I'm sending this to you because, specifically because, you're elect exiles. You've been chosen to live the life of one who's been kicked out of your home. Now, it's possible that they were physical exiles. They were literal exiles in, in a sense. But it's more likely, I believe, a lot of theologians believe that he's using that figuratively to speak to Christians to say, you're not at home. You're living spread out and dispersed, and you're living in a place where things are hard and difficult for you. Many times in this letter, 1 Peter, he mentions different types of persecution, different hardships that are coming at these followers of Jesus. And he writes this letter to tell them specifically, hey, I want you to take up hope in Jesus, and this is how you live faithfully in the midst of all that fuss and strain and fight. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to start. In verse 7, it says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Verse 8, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another 
without grumbling. So you see at the beginning of verse 7 the urgency of the matter. He says, I want you to keep in mind that the end of all things is at hand. Now I don't think that Peter thought there that that he believed that Jesus was returning in the next week or so. I don't don't think that's necessarily what he was aiming to say. What I think he's trying to to say to these people who are living in in a day of hardship, I think he's saying to them, hey, listen, because you're in the end chapter of kind of the gospel narrative. Like, there's not a a new plot twist. There's not a big surprise coming. None of that stuff. Like, you're living in kind of the last chapter of this big gospel story before the radical conclusion where King Jesus splits the skies and we all get to experience freedom with him forever. You're in the last part. You're in the last chapter. Now, when that exact day is, who knows? He says, you're in the last chapter. He's trying to bring them to realize, have some immediacy about responding to what I'm saying to you. Have some urgency about living faithfully in this way because you're in the end. You're in the last chapter. There's not time for you to shift things and think it's going to get better. You don't need to live that way. You need to live urgently. So he says, therefore, the end of all things is at hand. And so be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers so what are we going to do when we face hardship what would be a trait that would be found in us when we're up against things that are really grueling the first is this he's going to actually give us two or three today but the first is this is that we would be in a moment of pain we would be a people of prayer That in the moment when it hurts the worst and maybe we're the most frustrated with God and we're not sure what God is doing as much as we've ever been unsure of what God is doing, that is the exact moment when we most need to run to him. It's not what we often do, though, is it? Oftentimes when we're hurting, when we're frustrated, when we're not sure about God, we, we use that as a reason to push away from God. Have you ever seen an injured animal, and maybe you've tried to assist and try to make it better for it. It's got a wounded paw, or it's got its head stuck in a popcorn bag in my house. (laughs) And and as you're trying to help, the animal is so caught up in the, the emotion of the experience and frightened and whatever it may be, that even though you're there to help, and even though they've known that they can trust you, they back away from you, they run from you instead of coming to you. Have you ever tried to change the big bathroom diaper of a toddler. Big bathroom in, in contrast to little bathroom. <laughs> one and two. Two's bigger than one. You ever tried to change one before and had them run away from you? And you're going, hey, this situation that you're in is not a good one. <laughs> it's making it really hard for everybody in the house. We're all got eyes watering. I'm trying to help you get out of this mess. <laughs> and they're running from you. God's word, the psalmist Psalm 73, I believe it's verses 21, 22-ish. He's talking about a time in his life when he's experienced torment. And he says, when I was was embittered in my heart, when my heart was pricked and I was in deep pain, he said, I was toward you, God, like a brutish animal. I was like a wild beast. What is it in us that so often when we feel pain we push away from God instead of running to God because here's the reality is that we find hope when we let our pain lead us to prayer Peter says you're in the end times you're facing a lot of opposition the first thing that I'm assuming that you're doing is praying 
He doesn't even command them to pray. He assumes that they're praying, and so he gives them some help in their prayers. He says, I want you to have sound judgment, which speaks to their actions, their decisions. I want you to have a sober mind, which speaks to their thinking. He says, listen, pay attention to your actions. Pay attention to your thinking. Why does he give us a reason for that? He says, for the sake of your prayers. I want to be really careful anytime we talk about prayer not to present prayer as some kind of jigsaw puzzle that you have to figure out to get it just right and do it just right. Prayer is your heart's expression to God. God receives prayers from those who are childlike in their expression. He receives honest prayers. At the same time, there are some things that the Bible tells us about, things that will wound our prayers and, and hurt our prayers, and it says one of those is our actions. So when we're hurting, are we going and we seeking to, to help ourselves, medicate ourselves outside of God. And that could be in some illegal ways. That could be in some substance ways. That can be in this little device in my hand 24 hours a day. And I, I put my attention nowhere else except this place that every few seconds has another opportunity to give me a shot of a, of a brainwash of a chemical that feels good because I learned something new or I saw something new or I'm in the know. It could be a million different places and decisions that we turn to and run to when we hurt. But Peter is just assuming as faithful followers of Jesus, if you're hurting and you're in pain, then you're praying. And we find hope when we let our pain lead us to prayer. Go read the Psalms. It wasn't until I, I went day by day through the Psalms while in a season of absolute struggling and suffering that I really felt the Psalms. I used to would tell you about the Psalms and how rich they are with emotion and all these things, but it was the first time that I could read it and understand some of the realities that the psalmist is expressing when he's saying the waves are crashing over me, when he's saying all my friends and comrades have deserted me, there's no one here, God. When he says to God, God, it's too much, literally, it's too much. It's him saying to the God who knows how much is too much and who hasn't stopped yet, God, my real experience is it's too much. He comes with anger. He comes with sadness. They come with fear. They come with curiosity. They just come. When we hurt, will we be people who let our pain lead us to prayer, that lead us to the presence of God? Or will we be people who let our thinking be so focused, so distracted elsewhere, who let our decisions lead us down a path of different distractions that will never produce what they promise to help us? listen be prayerful and you'll find the person of God I'm read verse 8 to you again after he's mentioned prayer he's going to mention the kind of life that's going to flow out of this prayerful connected to the presence of God the kind of life he says in verse 8 above all keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Very interesting stuff. He says, I want you to keep loving, but he doesn't just say keep loving one another. How does he say to love one another? He says, I want you to keep loving one another earnestly. Even in this pain, even in this conflict, which some of you may decide to respond to differently than others do or may have different ideas about it, or maybe somebody is, in your mind is connected to why you're experiencing the hardship and the conflict to begin with. Listen, when you get a bunch of humans together, there's a bunch of different avenues for how hard stuff can happen. He says, even in that moment, what I want you to do is to love one another and be committed to it. Keep doing it, but not just loving one another, loving one another earnestly. 
I'm not a big, like, like cuddler kind of guy. You come to me, you want to give me a hug, I'm going to let you. Right? It's probably going to be sweaty if it, today, just heads up. Get me before we preach. <laughs> but, but I'm going to let you. And, I, and, and there are times when I'm more comfortable with that, more free with that. But it's just not my personal, just innate thing. But I'm just, just always just that guy, always in your personal bubble. That's not me. And that's, that's caused issues from time to time in my marriage. Because <laughs> my wife wants it. She wants a hug. When we were dating and I was just intoxicated with how absolutely perfect she was, right? I would just hold her up next to me and cuddle her and her little head would be right down here under me. And I'd, I'd kind of have my chin on her head and I'd call her, you know, you're my short stack, right? And she'd be like, you're my boo-boo. And I'd be like, oh, it was just beautiful, right? <laughs> right? We used to do it all the time back then. We used to hold hands all the time. We used to all, I mean, it's just, we just loved it. But, but there's been moments in my marriage, right, where, where she's looking at me and she's wanting me to hug and I'm hugging her. And I am hugging her, but she also knows that I'm hugging her, but I'm not hugging her. You know what I'm saying? I'm hugging her, but it's like I got one arm on the hug and I got another arm reaching for my keys because I was about to be leaving out the door. I ain't got time for this. I'm, I'm hugging her, but I'm not hugging her. She knows. I don't know how she knows. The Lord has equipped her with a sense of sight, of vision in the back of her head. She knows that I can be hugging her really. like, like It just feels just like a really good hug, but I'm actually watching the game over her head. <laughs> She'll say things like, hey, don't watch the game. Just hug me right now. I'll be done in just a minute. Right? See, it's possible for me to display love to her, but it's also possible at the same time it's not really a sincere, strong, deep love that I want her to, to know is just rich coming in her direction. When things get hard is when we'll be the most tempted to give up on the love that we've committed to each other in Jesus. When things get hard in my world, it's going to be the moment that I'm most likely to offer you some platitudes of love and make sure that I'm saying something that you know that I care about you, those kind of things. But when things are hard, that's when I'm most likely, I believe that's when we're all most likely to kind of reserve ourselves and pull away a little bit from the, the earnest, committed, deep, heartfelt right, love, that kind that makes us have to be transparent and really get into each other's lives. We're going to withdraw from that because well, I don't, I don't want to hurt more. You know, what Peter says is, listen, even now, even in the end of things, even in pain and persecution, even then, love one another earnestly, sincerely. If you have to wrestle with yourself at home so that you can then go and love someone sincerely, wrestle with you so that you can love sincerely. He says, do that. Do you see? He says, why? He says, because love, this kind of love, this Christ-like love, it covers a multitude of sins. Church in general, it's unfortunate but true that church in general kind of has a reputation and sometimes it's earned of being a place where people are very critical, very willing to find your flaws and call them out. And then when you are in the kind of pressure pack of life and things are going really hard, it becomes really easy to man, really find all the problems really quickly. I want the pain gone and I see how you're contributing. I want the pain gone and you're not making it better. I want the pain gone and you and you and you. It's easy for us to get into that place. But the opposite of that is what Peter says. He says, if you know the love of Jesus, then you can be a person who can look at others and you can see their sins and you don't have to ignore them. You don't have to act as if they don't exist, as if they're not sin. But he says your love is just so much bigger than your concern with your awareness for their sin that you don't have to constantly always be calling out sin. 
that you can just love them. You don't have to love them and then also slide in a word of correction right off the back door. You just love them. Doesn't mean that, that we're letting consistent, willful sin continue on in our lives. It doesn't mean that we're letting sin that would have just deep, problematic, destructive patterns in our lives lingering in our lives. No, what we're saying doesn't even mean that when you're really hurt by something somebody else says, there are times when it's of a magnitude and a scale that you go, hey, listen, we're not going to be able to walk forward in peace until we work through this, talk through this. But what it does mean is that we are a people who are not primarily looking for each other's sin. We're looking for how the grace of God can cover that sin. How we can love them anyway. How we can not even have to bring it up because godly love focuses on assisting sinners instead of exposing sin. Doesn't mean there's not sin there. It just means that's not my primary function. That's not my primary role. I believe that the world around us would be very attracted, if not to the Bible, if not to the moral standards of Scripture, if not to even Jesus himself. I believe the world around us would be very attracted to a group of people who love each other earnestly such that that love covers sin. Maybe we're dealing with it personally, privately. But choosing to hand you patience and grace instead of choosing to hand you a pamphlet on how to get better. Man, the world, I believe, could be changed by that. And Peter says, respond in this way. It's going to give us one more characteristic as we look at these last couple of verses. Verse 10 and 11. He says, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So he says, I'm going to shift here for a moment. I've told you, as you're prayerful, watch yourself. And I've told you to move that into the lives of others that you would love earnestly and sincerely and, and seek to cover sin as opposed to just be nitpicking it out. He says, now here's some active ways that you can actually go towards others and love them. He says, serve them. Serve them with the gifts that you've been given by God. God in his spirit has gifted you certain gifts and abilities and strengths that, that you have that his spirit empowers to do his work in and through your life. And he says, here's the deal. God didn't give you those for you. He didn't give you those just so you could feel accomplished, so you could be noticed. Instead, we're graced with gifts in order to serve God's grace to others. There's so many great examples of that sitting in these seats. So beautiful to see it when Man, somebody knows this is what I'm good at. This is what God has given me. And humbly, I just want to do it for other people as much as I can because I want them to see the love of God through my life. God has not gifted us so that we could be financially successful, though we may be, and, and that's fine. God has not gifted us so that we could be popular among the crowd in our town, well-known. He's not gifted us for us he's gifted us for others and yet so often we take what he's given us and we want to seek to use it maybe to escape our pain maybe to hide it to be recognized to be noticed we take what he's given and we try to use it for different purposes did you know that that really at its root is the truest meaning of the word perversion 
we hear the word perverted or perversion, we automatically attach that in our culture, understandably, to, to sexual sin and sexual ideas. But the word perversion just means to use something for a purpose other than what it was intended. High school, my dad knew that I was short on shorts, that I, that I no longer had any shorts that fit me very well. He gave me, I think it was, if memory serves me correctly, $120 to go to the River Chase Galleria in Hoover, Alabama, lots of stores there, and buy myself some shorts. He gave me cash. He said, come back with shorts. You would think, you're being dramatic. He didn't say it that clearly. No, he did, because he knew me. <laughs> My dad always says, if I asked to go, if it's okay for me to take the car and go to McDonald's, he would say, which McDonald's? Because if he didn't, I would go to the McDonald's in Mississippi to meet somebody, and I'd be like, well, you said I could go to McDonald's, right? So he would speak very directly to me, and he gave me $120 cash, and he said, come back with some shorts. And I went shopping, and I came back with the coolest thing I found that day. I thought he was going to be so happy. <laughs> I at least thought it would be okay, acceptable. I quickly learned from his face and some words that he said later that it was not. What I came back with was a pair of the coolest pants you've ever seen from Abercrombie and Finch. All right? I don't even know if that's cool anymore. Don't care. I'm beyond cool dressing. You can tell. But in that day, that was about the coolest thing you could have. I had these pants that looked like, they were like wind pants, but they looked like dress pants. But they had this sweat pant material on the inside. They were so comfortable. And here's the deal. You could zip off the bottom of the legs, and they could be shorts or pants. So I'm coming home like, I got pants, and I got shorts. My dad was expecting me to come home with maybe four or five pairs of shorts. I came home and pulled that out of the bag. He was not happy. Because I had used what he had worked hard for, what he had sacrificed for, to give me. I had taken it and gone, here, I know what you said about shorts, but I'm going to get these cool pants which I quickly rubbed a hole in on the gym floor and never wore very much after that. Have you ever given someone a gift and they use it differently than you thought they might? Jamie and I were once blessed to be able to gift someone an, an older car just so they'd have one, and they, within a few weeks, sold it to somebody. We love them. They're great folks. We love them. We've had great times with them since then. But, man, for a moment, we had to go, oh, what just happened? I thought we were blessing you. God has given every single person sitting in this building gifts. If they're followers of Jesus, if you're his follower, he has given you strengths and gifts and abilities that you can do strongly, empowered by his spirit, for the glory of his name, is what these verses say. In his strength, for his glory, not in your strength, for your glory. Or the glory of some other object that you choose and think is worth it. If we're going to be people who are truly moved by the person of Jesus, by regularly interacting with him through faith and the leadership of his spirit, if that's going to be true of us, we're going to be people who are prayerful. We're going to be people who love each other sincerely, even when it's hard. Who show hospitality, he talked about in this verse, who we're people who make it feel like home to people when we know they're not at home be those kind of people and we're going to be people who are doing that by regularly figuring out how can I serve my brothers and sisters in the name of Jesus how can I use the gifts that God has given me to serve his grace up to them so many of you do these things so well I commend you I also point you back to this word that we just heard from Peter when he said keep loving earnestly keep going Keep going. Allow God 
not me, not somebody else's mold and idea of what a faithful, strong Christian looks like. God, let God lead you and stretch you into what's next. Keep going. What would it look like, Dublin Bible Church, for us to love each other that way and turn and love our city that way? What might God do if even in our own struggles and strains, we're loving and serving, showing Jesus to the world? That's God's plan. It's God's mandate on our lives. And Jesus at the cross shows it all better and, and, and at more of a pinnacle picture than any of us have ever seen or ever will show. He's on the cross giving his life. He's going to the Father in prayer saying, why have you forsaken me? So that his love will not excuse our sins, will not accept our sins as if they're okay, but that he will accept us as sinners. And he will be gentle and kind to us. He won't beat us over the head with shame and condemnation. But he'll lead us gently out of our sin. That's Jesus. That's what it looks like. Will that be what we look like? How do you respond to God's word today? Trusting by his spirit, he's working his word into our hearts to tell us. How will we respond to it? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your patience with me. Thank you for your kindness to us. I thank you for your word which challenges us in a way that would lead us to healing, would lead us to better more of seeing you and showing you God I ask that you would lead us now just a little while when we leave God that you would lead us to be people who worship you with our decisions with our thinking toward each other toward the world around us God that you would lead us in how we can serve each other in the world around us teach us how to hurt well teach us how to have pain and strain well with you with each other for your glory in your strength I'm asking you and trusting you God to guide each one of our hearts to how we worship you in response to this day we love you Jesus and we want to love you more than we do please bring us to that we ask it all for the glory of your name